just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hopefully your day is going well. It's Wednesday. We are midway through the week and plenty of activity happening this week. Now, as you're listening to this, I'm either en route to Orlando in a plane from Orlando to Minnesota or actually sitting home in Minnesota. My wife and I have been down in Savannah uh, up until today. And we had to drive down to Orlando, get up at 4.30, drive four hours to Orlando to catch a flight around, I don't know, 11.30 or something like that. And then we're headed back. So as you're listening to this podcast, I don't know where I am. But frankly, I rarely know where I am. I'm 62 years old, for Christ's sake. What do you expect out of me? (laughs) Anyway, we had a great time down in Savannah, Georgia. Yesterday, in fact, we uh, went over to Tybee. Island, which is one of my favorite places on earth. It's a great little beach town, great little bars and and restaurants. Uh, We ate at uh, one called Docks yesterday. And there's a gentleman behind the bar, the bartender, who was very outgoing, very friendly. Uh, The food was awesome. And the guy's name was Bama. Well, of course, his name was Bama. (laughs) He had an Alabama sweatshirt on. It's just amazing to me. Everywhere I go, I meet people who are just uh, wonderful folks, friendly, outgoing, helpful, warm. You don't always get to see that in Minnesota. Now, that said, we do have Minnesota nice, and there are plenty of nice people in Minnesota. But it seems like down here in Georgia, it's everybody. No matter where I go, people are friendly. Now, as much as I'd like to stay down in Georgia longer, I have to get back. Uh, My wife has things to do. We have grandkids we need to see, and uh, we had to hop back on a plane. I'm looking forward to those days when we can spend more time in Georgia, especially this time of year. Now, this, of course, is the coldest time of year in Savannah, Georgia. And I will just tell you today, the uh, high temperature was between 65 and 70. Not exactly tropical, but when at home, It's nice at 30 above. This feels a lot better. But nonetheless, we're back in Minnesota and things will get back to normal in terms of the podcast and how I produce it. I'm sitting here in my living room in Savannah on a couch with a bar stool and the computer sitting on the bar stool. It's not optimal as far as convenience, but what the fuck? It works and here I am. Now, I'm recording this at about uh, 10 o'clock in the evening, which is early for me. And the reason it's early is because I got to get up at fucking 4.30 to drive down to Orlando. So I can't exactly be up till 2 in the morning, go to sleep for two hours, and then head down to Orlando. So this is going to be done a little earlier. But, you know, the thing about it is we had the uh, State of the Union address by Joe Biden. That's over. That's kind of the bulk of what we'll talk about today. There's other stuff too, but since that's over, I don't have to wait till midnight to get it done. Uh, we have the information. And frankly, uh, the the State of the Union pretty much went like everybody expected with some added things, things added in by the Republicans. And that truly is the news story here and something we'll talk about. Now, before we get into the business at hand, I have one email, and this was written prior to the State of Union, uh, State of the Union address, and it's sent by Joshua. He says, Mike, this is what I'd like to hear Biden say in his speech tonight. Something like, folks, we've had some great successes, I had, but if our democracy falls, none of these can be achieved. I'm hoping that Biden addresses the fact that we are in danger of falling to autocracy, and that we must defeat the evils from the past from resurfacing. 
I don't think it's a bad thing if Biden talks about compromise and unity, but it must be balanced with the reality of our current fight for democracy, in my opinion. We shall see. Thank you for your public service, Joshua. Well, of course, those are the things that Joe Biden talked about. Um, You know, that's pretty much how a State of the Union usually goes. Um, the, The State of the Union basically talks about the successes, and then he tries to hit the um, bullet points that interest folks, you know, like inflation and gas prices, make them feel comfortable in thinking that there's something going to be done about the things they're most worried about. And frankly, in this country, we know the thing that most people worry about is their pocketbook. How are they going to afford things? And I get that. You know, we hear a lot about the economy not being great, but most things about the economy are not only great, but excellent. You know, we've got the lowest unemployment rate since 1969. Joe Biden, since taking office two years ago, has added 12 million jobs unheard of. No other president has done that. The GDP is up. Wages are up. Um, inflation is starting to ease up a little bit. Gas prices have gone down. So there's a lot of positives out there, a lot of things for Joe Biden to talk about. Still, the Republicans and the general public believe, well, the economy's not so good. Well, how can they say that? Well, I'll tell you how they say that. Because Wall Street is one thing, but Main Street is another thing. And this is one of the things that politicians miss frequently. It's great if the GDP is up. It's great if unemployment is down. It's great if wages are up. But are, are our wages up enough to compete with inflation? Now, I said inflation is starting to come down now. But what people have to understand is day to day, it's not the big picture like we see with politics. There are people just struggling every day to try to cover the bills, and buy enough food to feed their family. I think many of us have been in that situation in the past. We've had our rough times, and when we had to juggle a lot of bills, we had more bills than income, and it was a problem. A lot of people go through that. And if we, like like me, for example, I'm kind of retired Uh, My wife and I are pretty well set with uh, investments and uh, 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 Social Security and pensions and stuff like that. I don't really have that much worry about money day to day, but that doesn't mean I didn't at one point. And that also doesn't mean I should forget about those people who are struggling with the things I struggled with back in the day. I mean, that should be our goal. Make sure that life is better for more people. As the Democrats have said many times, it's great if you've got a bunch of jobs, but if those jobs don't pay you enough to dig your way out of poverty, well, they aren't worth the fucking shit. And while Joe Biden is uh, crowing about the unemployment, and he should, that was quite a win for him, there still are a lot of people out there struggling, can't pay their bills. I mean, they talk about eggs all the time, but go try to buy a pound of butter. It's like six bucks. I used to be able to get it for three bucks. And that doesn't sound like a big deal if you've got money. But if you don't have money or your money is tight, that makes every day kind of stressful. And these are the things that we should be focusing on. The big picture is great. Wall Street's great. We need that to be good because it does trickle down a little bit. But once and for all, we need this government to focus on the people of this country, the middle class, and offer some help to them. I've talked about this before. You know, we give tax breaks to the rich. Uh, We give them all kinds of leeway where they can cheat on taxes so they can make more money. But every time there's an attempt to help the middle class, everybody's in shock. Oh, my God, how are we going to pay for that? We're going to saddle our kids with huge amounts of debts, even though when they do these other things, they don't mention that. Our country has been conditioned 
mostly by the Republicans, but some by the Democrats, to think that any time we give to the middle class, it's just too expensive. It's crazy. You can't give them health care. We can't afford that. Well, yes, you can afford that. You can afford $2 trillion to the rich and $800 billion to the Defense Department. You can afford health care. You can afford to bring down pharmaceutical products. You can afford to bring down the, uh, the, the debts on people's student loans, which are outrageous. But this country has been conditioned. And when I say this country has been conditioned, it's not just the politicians who say that. I talk to people, Democrats and Republicans alike, and they just parrot those things the Republicans have said and even some Democrats have said. None of it's true. It's absolutely ridiculous to suggest that we can't help the middle class, the people that carry this country on their back. The bulk of the taxes are coming from the middle class. Isn't it reasonable to think we'd get something in return, something for our investment? Or if you look at from the investing side, from the politicians, say you have a portfolio and you're investing money in certain areas. Now, you invest money into the rich people, but they don't pay any taxes, so there's no return on your investment. You have the middle class who provides a lot of taxes. Wouldn't you want to foster that investment over rich people or the Defense Department? The people that are keeping this country afloat with their tax dollars, wouldn't you want to make sure they're healthy and safe and happy? Wouldn't you want to cultivate that resource? That just makes common sense to me. But apparently it doesn't to politicians and the wealthy. What they have to understand is at some point, at some point, they will bleed the middle class dry and then they will have no well to fucking go to anymore. They may crush the middle class, but in the process, they'll crush themselves. It's like drinking all the available water, drinking it all up fast and quick, and then realizing I got no more water. I'm going to die. So as much as they're trying to kill the middle class, they're in fact killing themselves, and they don't get it. This is about greed, 100% fucking greed. And that's what has to be changed, regardless of if it's Joe Biden or Mike Pence or whoever's the president. At some point, people need to sit back and say, we need to change a lot of things because a lot of things in this country are fucked up. Our priorities are wrong. And this is one of my problems with Joe Biden. Joe Biden's old school. He's kind of a moderate. And he's against some things, you know, like uh, taking the limit off the debt. I can't imagine why he would be against that. That makes no fucking logical sense. He doesn't want to get rid of the filibuster. Again, it makes no sense. He's worried about, you know, spending too much money for the middle class because how can we afford it? Joe Biden, as much as he's a good president and he is a Democrat, we need something a little more left to balance things out here. We've been robbed for decades. Now, something has to happen to balance what we've got going on here if we want our country to continue and if we want our middle class to flourish. And we should want them to flourish because they're the ones that support this country. Now, of course, Joe Biden has his uh, State of the Union address today. Uh, on Tuesday, he told Congress that the State of the Union is strong and getting even stronger in his third annual primetime address from the House chamber since taking office and in the lead up to a likely announcement that he will run for re-election. I don't think that's a foregone conclusion. I really don't. He may. I mean, let's be perfectly honest. He's He's uh, four years older than Donald Trump, but he's in a lot better shape and a lot healthier. Donald Trump thinks he's going to uh, run for re-election. He's already announced. I still don't think that he will. He's going to run out of uh, support. He's going to run out of money. And uh, legally, he may be precluded for running for any office. 
Biden said, we are the only country that has emerged from every crisis stronger than when we got into it. Look, folks, that's what we're doing again. And, you know, I don't disagree with them at this point. We do seem to be getting stronger. This is one of the things um, I've said all along. When you listen to the media or you listen to our politicians, a lot of negativity going on. I think there's something in it for them. I know there is for the media, but even in the politicians, to make us afraid, make us scared. And we keep hearing about this recession, yet we haven't seen a recession. Now some people are saying that, well, it may be a recession, but it won't be as bad as we thought. I just heard somebody just say, yeah, it doesn't look like a recession's coming. But you see what's going on with the media and the politicians keep talking about recession. In spite of what's going on in this country with jobs and that sort of thing, that's why 65% of this country is saying, oh, we've got problems with the economy. Well, it depends on what you're talking about with the economy. The economy on a federal level is really actually kind of flourishing. Now, if there are people in the middle class that are struggling, I get that. I understand that. And that should be a red flag to politicians that, hey, maybe we should take and pay attention to the fucking middle class once in a while. Now, Biden, whose approval numbers have rebounded significantly since last summer when more Americans disapproved of him than approved of him uh, by a 20-point margin, took to the, uh, the, the podium, and he went on to, of course, boast about the economy that has recovered the millions of jobs it lost during COVID-19 and which could gain millions more in the coming years thanks to um, the the two trillion in high-tech green energy and infrastructure investments he's pushed through in his two years in office. That infrastructure thing is quite important. This country has sorely needed repairs and updates in its infrastructure. We heard politician after politician, Democrats and Republicans say, We need to do something with the infrastructure, but all the way along, nobody ever fucking did anything about it. Bridges falling down, problems with roads, problems with water in Flint, Michigan. Fuck. I just heard, I just read in an article yesterday, my son sent it to me. The town I live in, right right in the western suburbs of... uh, Minneapolis. Apparently our water is unsafe too. It's got too much manganese or something in it and I had no idea. Why in the world, especially in a place where I live, it's not Flint, Michigan, there's a lot of people paying a lot of taxes. Why is our water shit? It's because politicians haven't paid attention to what their fucking job is and that's taking care of their area, their districts, their states, and their people. They're too busy wearing suits and fucking going to ribbon cuttings and trying to grift as much money as they possibly can. I got to tell you, this is going to be interesting. Now that I find out our uh, our water sucks, I'm going to stir it up a little bit in my town. I've done that in the past in other, other places I've lived when I've found the city council or the mayor is doing some unsavory things. I'm going to stir it up a little bit. And they're going to see some old guy, 62-year-old guy complaining, and they're going to think, well, what can he do? Well, I tell you, motherfucker, just wait and see. Just wait and see. My point is, is that we've always heard about infrastructure. And thankfully, Joe Biden was able to, with the Democrats, get infrastructure put through. Now, They complained about how much it costs, $2 trillion. But what they failed to understand is it's going to generate income too. More people are going to have higher paying jobs, which is going to create taxes, which of course these people pay, unlike the rich fucking people that don't pay taxes. It's something we need for this country, something we've needed for a long time. And it also helps people. 
See, that's what we like to call a win-win situation, but apparently politicians don't fucking get it. Fortunately, we have an infrastructure bill, $2 trillion. I'll be honest with you, it could be $4 trillion to fix all the things we need. But we got to ease our way into everything because everybody's putting up hurdles for anything that has to do with helping our country or helping the people in this country. Which is horribly tragic when you think that these people are put in the positions they're in for the very reason to help this country and the fucking people in it. Now, Biden went on and said, look at the progress that we've made, particularly the recent progress that we made with inflation coming down, gas prices coming down, real wages as a result going up. Um, Biden's director of National Economic Council, Brian D, said that we have come through this recovery, recovering people's economic security historically fast and historically equitable. And we have to keep making progress on it. And he's absolutely right. The turnaround has been truly amazing. Now, that doesn't mean that they fixed everything or even close to fixing everything. They need to keep doing what they're doing. And we need to keep our thumbs on their necks to make sure they continue to do that. Now, Biden... He turned 80 years old in November. He said for months that he intends to run for a second term, but did not feel compelled to make a firm decision until this year. And that makes sense. He wasn't going to make a decision prior to the midterms. And he'll make that decision this year. If he's still feeling good and confident, he may say he's going to run again. But again, we're still two years out. A lot of things change in that time period. So I'm still sticking with what I said. I don't think Joe Biden is going to run. He, um, I mean, why would he? What's he got to prove? He's already done more than any president in his first two years. Let's get some things done as much as you can with a Republican House. Wrap it up in two more years. And then let some younger person, maybe somebody of color, Somebody different than an old white man. As good as Joe Biden has been, I think he should let it go. He's still too old school. And we're at a point in time where we need to make some dramatic changes in order to correct for the damage that the Republican Party has done to this country. Now, last spring and summer, following a chaotic withdrawal of the U.S. military forces from Afghanistan and amid spiking inflation rates, Biden's approval numbers went down to the mid-30s. But after inflation began easing, the Supreme Court overturned the national right to abortion and the coup-attempting former President Donald Trump inserted himself in the national conversation. Biden enjoyed the best midterm election performance of any president in decades. Somebody tried to give me shit. They said, you predicted a blue wave at the midterms. Uh, No, I did not predict a blue wave. I didn't really know what was going to happen, but I knew the idea of a red wave was not going to happen. It just made no logical sense. And Joe Biden, you know, in the two years he's been in office, he's had some great success. (laughs) I wonder sometimes, though, Joe Biden looks really good right now. Is it because he's really good? Or is it because Donald Trump and the Republicans look so fucking bad? Anything would be an improvement over those fucks. I think in realistic terms, Joe Biden is doing well. And part of the reason he's doing so well is because of his experience in Congress and the Senate. He's been part of the process for 50 years, and that was one of Donald Trump's major problems. Besides being dumb, besides being racist, besides being misogynistic, anti-Semitic, criminal, and corrupt, besides those things, he had no clue how the government runs. Donald Trump's run his own company, most of them into the ground, but he had no idea how the government runs. Donald Trump had always been all-powerful in his companies. Even if he was wrong, people bent to his will and uh, just went along. What he didn't account for is when you're dealing with the government, you're dealing with two parties, you're dealing with people that also have power, 
it's not going to be as easy to bullshit your way through. And Donald Trump found out very quickly that he couldn't do it at all. One of the big differences between Joe Biden and Donald Trump is that Donald Trump had no clue how to run the system. And if you're in government, if you hold political office, particularly the presidency, it takes some gamesmanship. It takes some knowledge of how the system works. Donald Trump had no fucking clue, and he failed miserably. Now, of course, the Republicans only just barely won back the House rather than picking up 40 to 50 seats, which is what they thought they were going to do. Uh, they lost a seat in the Senate. Um, and a lot of people are paying tribute to uh, Biden and his staff to their leadership in this. And, and that's partially true. He has a record over the past last two years that shows he has delivered Kareem Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary, said, like presidents have done historically, Biden has been and continues to take credit for improvements in the economy that had little to do with his policies. And, you know, that goes back to something I think we've all heard before. Um, presidents get credit for things they shouldn't get credit for, but at the same time, they get um blamed for things they shouldn't be blamed for, like inflation for Joe Biden. That really wasn't his fault. That was more having to do with COVID and the supply chain situation. And all of that happened before Joe Biden was even in an office. Now, when he entered office, just as the worst of COVID-19 was passing, I mean, he took it a really shitty time. He and he and Obama are kind of in the same boat. Obama took over from George W. Bush at a time when our economy was the worst I've ever seen in my history. And he was able to bring us out of that, those depths, and bring us back to prosperity economically. And Joe Biden had the same thing. You know, he, COVID, we were in the thick of COVID. Joe Biden was president. Now, Donald Trump was behind getting the COVID vaccinations, but he had no plans to distribute it. So you got this shit in warehouses going bad because they only last so long. It took Joe Biden to come in to find a way to distribute it. I know Donald Trump likes taking credit, but he only did half the job. And that's pretty typical of Donald Trump because he's a half-ass motherfucker. Biden took over at a moment when both the economy and the government's financial picture realistically had nowhere to go but up. Millions of people returned to work and the federal government phased out the welfare payments to keep businesses and their employees from going bankrupt while much of the economy had shut down. Today, some 12 million more Americans are employed than on the day of his inauguration, while the federal deficit has gone down $1.7 trillion. Remember, Donald Trump added 7 or $8 trillion to the debt during his four years, so that's admirable for Joe Biden. Now, the flip side of taking credit for some of the economy's successes is being blamed for its problems. Most Americans' polling shows they still are worried about the economy despite the low unemployment number, largely because of the, the still high inflation. Many economists believe that results partially uh, resulted partially because Russia's invasion of Ukraine a year ago drove up oil prices and partially because of all the cash the government put in America's pockets to ward off a depression during the pandemic. And all of those make sense. You saw it as soon as Russia went into Ukraine, oil prices went up. It's not Joe Biden's fault. The other thing is when they were handing money out, the $600 a week unemployment money to people during covid now, people, that did add to the inflation, but people are mistaken when they think that this was a free handout to individuals in this country. I mean, it was, they got the money, but they didn't do it to help people as much as they did to keep the economy rolling. People are out of jobs, they have no more money, they don't buy more shit, and that fucks up the economy. So as much as it may have helped those people that got that money, 
It also kept the economy going. And instead of going into this deep recession or even depression coming out of COVID, because of that money, even though it created inflation, it kept things rolling and kept us in a better situation. You got to understand, when you got COVID, this is like something we haven't seen in 100 years. We had no idea how it was going to affect things. I'll be honest with you, when I first heard about COVID and they said we're going to have this quarantine situation, I thought, yeah, a week or two and that'll be it. Well, that fucking turned into a couple of years and that has a serious impact on this economy. So as there are some bad things that you have to consider in our economy, the individuals in this economy. It's pretty amazing that we are in this position after all we went through. I mean, it was crazy. It's easy to start forgetting about how difficult it was during the COVID uh, quarantine type shit. I mean, we all want to forget about it. It was a horrible time. It was a boring time. And uh, now we're out of it. And now we're bitching about little inflation, gas prices, and all this stuff. Well, what could have happened is absolutely devastating had they not fed the money to the people in this country and kept the economy rolling. So yes, we have some inflation now, and it's starting to go down. But had they not done that, this country would have been fucked and in far worse conditions. All your home values would have dropped. It would be impossible to buy gas. There are a lot of things that would have gone wrong had they not doled out this money. And that's why whenever I hear the Republicans talk about it, free money to the people. Well, I tell you what, that saved us a lot of trouble. And if high inflation is the only thing we get in return because we saved the country from disaster, you got to pay the price for fucking everything. You got to pay the price. And if that's what it took, I'll pay the inflation until it goes down for the sake of this country. Because had we not done those things, we would have been in some fucking deep trouble. Um, you know, Biden's dealing with Ukraine, and he talked about that too. He's giving money to the Ukrainians to fight against uh, Vladimir Putin. Now, I keep hearing that Vladimir Putin's deathly ill and probably going to die. How much longer does he need? Die, motherfucker. We're tired of your shit. Now, Republican pollster Neil Newhouse said Americans' unhappiness about the state of things is understandable. It's not because people can't find jobs. It's because the money they are being paid isn't going far enough to make ends meet or to get ahead. He said, Trending uh, economically in place, they're actually treading water economically, and that's not good enough for most Americans. I mean, you saw a lot of people decide during COVID to say, fuck it, I'm retiring. I'm getting out. I did that. My wife did that inadvertently. That wasn't really planned that way. It just happened that way. But I think there's a lot of people of our age group, the uh, boomers, that said, you know, enough is enough. I've done this all my life. I might as well retire. And that gives us a shortage of employees. But there has to be some lessons learned out there. If you can't pay people enough to survive, they aren't going to work for you anymore. They're going to find some other opportunities. They may start businesses. They may do side hustles or whatever it is. But it's one thing not to be paid well, but have to take shit on top of it. I get that. Why do you want to go someplace you work every day, get paid very little, and then also have to be treated like shit as well? I think people in this country are waking up and they're seeing this and they're saying, no, there's got to be a better way. I'm not fucking doing that anymore. We need to transition in this country. We need the people the employers in this country to realize that their absolute best resource are their workers. And I think they're starting to learn that now that there's a shortage. Because as big and powerful as these companies are, if they don't have anybody that's going to work for them, their businesses aren't worth a shit. 
So maybe they're learning some lessons today. We're seeing some companies pay people more money because they have to. You know, Republicans will always say, uh, let the market decide what people get paid. Okay, motherfucker, that's what's happening right now. If you own a grocery store in some town and you need 20 workers and you only got five, what's that tell you? You got to pay more money. You got to make it more attractive to people to work for you. Or guess what? You can't run your grocery store anymore. So some of these people are being forced into it. And I think people in this country need to realize you deserve better. Don't settle for something just because you need a job. Go after the biggest, best thing you can go after. In this day and age, because there's a shortage of workers, I will even tell you this. There's an excellent chance that you could get a job that you may not think you could ever get. But what's, what's the harm in trying? Why not go out there and say, fuck it, I want to apply for this job. Make more money. That's what we should all be looking at. We can't look at our government to help us out, so we got to make more money. We're not going to take any more shit, and we're not going to take poverty wages. When people of this country realize that and insist on it, the employers of this country will not have a fucking choice. All right, we are going to take a break. And we will be right back. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. The one repeated message that Joe Biden put out during his State of the Union address was, let's finish the job. And that's not an uncommon cry from a president in a State of the Union address. Uh, Whether you have a presidential election coming up in 2024, that's what they all say. I got something started here. Let me finish the job. I think in Joe's case, though, uh, there is some legitimacy to it. He's made some, he's gained some ground for this country. We've come a long way from where Donald Trump left us in 2020. This place was economically and morally bankrupt. And Joe Biden was able to bring things together just by virtue of knowing how to run the system and having some good ideas and some good people put things together to try to get us on the right track. So Joe Biden did a good job with that, and he has every right to crow about his successes. And he's also right that we haven't come that far. It's better. It's been improved but we've got a ways to go. And if there's anybody that's going to complete the job in Joe Biden's mind, it's going to be Joe. And he's probably right about that. Once we've started on this track, Joe Biden has been in charge. So it might be wise to let him finish the job in the next couple of years, at least whatever job he's going to do. I'm sure he's suggesting that would mean another four more years. And frankly, if we get through the next two years like we got through the first two years, he's certainly entitled to a second shot, as other presidents have been able to have a second term. I mean, except for Donald Trump, of course. He fucked things up. He didn't get a second term. But Joe Biden probably deserves that if he's willing and able to run in 2024. And I think that still remains to be seen. Now, the State of the Union brought together a Democratic president and a Senate with a divided and far-right House of Representatives. We know this. According to MSNBC's Garrett Hake, Representative George Santos got to the House chamber earlier than anyone else, even reporters, and set himself on the aisle so he could shake hands with those who came in. I mean, this motherfucker has no shame at all. If I was George Santos, I'd probably want to hide. I may not even go to this event. But this guy is so arrogant, so narcissistic, he decides, I'm going to go right out there, be loud and proud, and see what happens. 
At one point, he appeared to try to talk to Mitt Romney, but it appeared that Romney had no interest in speaking to him, turning his back. There were concerns about whether Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene or Representative Lauren Boebert would make a scene, as they had in the past, yelling back at the president during his speech. But it was actually Marjorie Taylor Greene who was seated in the back row, screaming and interrupting at every opportunity. Now, here's the thing. With a State of the Union, it's all pretty predictable. You know what the president's going to say. You know where it's going to go. The real story here on this particular address, I felt all along, was how are the Republicans going to behave? Are they going to be adults? Are they just not going to clap when Joe Biden does something? Or are they going to act like dipshits? And clearly, with Marjorie Taylor Greene, the dipshit strategy won. At one point, she screamed liar when Biden said that some Republicans want to sunset Social Security and Medicare. It was part of a proposal presented by Rick Scott during the last election cycle. It was roundly denounced by minority leader Mitch McConnell. Biden managed to get everyone in the room to agree they would never cut the programs and show seniors by standing up. So we all agree. Social Security and Medicare are off the books, said Biden. The room stood. I mean, the fact of the matter is they did say it. Rick Scott did say it. It was in his 11-point plan. And since that time, we've heard other Republicans say the very same thing. Apparently, when they overturned Roe v. Wade before the midterms, that was akin to a kid touching a hot stove. They didn't know any better at that point, and when they got burned, apparently they're trying to avoid getting burned again because you go after Medicare and Social Security, you might as well get out of the business of politics. There's too many people, they're Republican and Democrat. If you're going to take away their livelihood, their ability to pay their bills and feed themselves, well, that's just fucking stupid. Unfortunately, when we're talking about Republicans, they are that fucking stupid. And Joe Biden needed to hold their feet to the fire to make sure how they respond to this. Now, that said, I don't think we're safe yet. I don't think we let down our guard. We keep shoving this in their face so it's the last thing they do. If they were to do something to Medicare and Social Security, it would not only hurt the people, it might very well destroy the economy in this country. It's a non-starter for anybody with common sense to touch Social Security and Medicare. You just can't do it. Nobody wins in that situation. Social Security doesn't even show up in our budget or in the debt, so it really has no bearing on helping those things. But Republicans would have you believe otherwise. They flat out lie about it in order to try to get their agenda across the line. Well, fuck them. It's not going to happen. As much as the media wants you to worry about your Social Security and Medicare, I'm going to tell you nothing is ever going to happen to it. It would be too devastating to whoever did it. I mean, it would pretty much end the Republican Party. They are not going to do it. There might be some crazy fucks that think they can get away with it, think they've got the system game, but it won't work. Anybody with common sense would not wade into that at all. Now, in the State of the Union address, President Joe Biden gave a triumphant shout out to the resilience of American democracy in the face of the attack at the U.S. Capitol as Trump supporters tried to stop the peaceful transfer of power, even though Mike Pompeo said, oh, there was a peaceful transfer of power. No, there wasn't. There was an attack on the U.S. Capitol, a coup attempt. That is not a peaceful transfer of power. And how Mike Pompeo can lie about it and think it's going to help him in 2024, I haven't a clue. But you know he's going to try to run for president. He'll be out before he ever gets in. He won't get very far. Biden went on to say, two years ago, our democracy faced its greatest threat since the Civil War. Today, though bruised, our democracy remains embowed and unbroken. One person who pointedly did not react to this line was newly elected House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, who has defended 
former President Donald Trump. Now, apparently, that did not go unnoticed on Twitter with commenters slamming McCarthy for not clapping or or um, paying proper respect. Kevin McCarthy can't clap for our democracy remains unbroken, tweeted former GOP strategist and Republican National Committee spokesman Tim Miller. So telling that McCarthy sat on his hands and was expressionless when at POTUS proclaimed our democracy remains unbroken, tweeted former CBS White House correspondent Peter Mayer. Kevin McCarthy not clapping at our democracy remains unbroken is all you need to know about this GOP majority, wrote former Commerce Department official James Slattery. Others pointed out that it wasn't just McCarthy. A few Republicans anywhere in the House were clapping at that point. Biden said today, though bruised, our democracy remains unbowed and unbroken. Almost no Republicans clapped. And that is a telling sign. I mean, you can not like the Republicans, or you can not like the Democrats. You can not like Joe Biden. But can you at least clap for the sake that we are still fortunate to have a democracy and that a strong democracy is important to this country. You can't clap for that. Apparently, Kevin McCarthy can't. And I'll tell you why Kevin McCarthy can't. is because he's got the megafucks hanging over his head. He's got that motion to vacate hanging over his head. All that needs to happen is one of those megafucks get mad and vote for a vote of no confidence And McCarthy may be on the way out the door. He wanted the title of Speaker of the House so bad, he gave away every power he had. And now he's like a puppet with the MAGA fucks pulling the strings. Kevin McCarthy, before this two years is up, is going to be destroyed as a politician. Uh, Any credibility, any legitimacy is going to be taken away from him. He won't be the Speaker of the House for two years. Somebody will get angry. Somebody will make the motion to vacate, and he will be done. He'll probably still be in the House of Representatives, but he will no longer be Speaker. Now, who will be Speaker? That's a good question, because it doesn't sound like the Republicans have any ability to elect anybody. Kevin McCarthy was their best bet, and it took 15 fucking times. Former President Donald Trump, of course, spoke out ahead of the State of the Union, claiming that he created the booming economy that he handed President Joe Biden when he left office. Now, this, of course, is just absolutely ridiculous. But this is this is classic. uh, um, Classic Donald Trump. Just make shit up, lie. Let's be honest. When Donald Trump left office after COVID, and people will say, well, he can't be blamed for the economy because of COVID. Oh, yes, he can. Donald Trump dropped the ball on COVID. When COVID first came around, he did absolutely nothing. He said it was a hoax. He said it would go away by spring. He thought it was going to harm him in the in the. Uh, midterm elections or in the 2020 election and he didn't want to even address it he wanted to act like it didn't exist by him doing that that caused covid to get as bad as it did to kill a million americans it uh, it also shut down this country and put us in a quarantine for like two years so if the economy sucked at the end of donald trump's tenure his administration and it was because of COVID, still Donald Trump's fault. None of this would have happened if he'd done anything that resembled the job of being president of the United States. But if you remember, at the end of Donald Trump's uh, term, the economy was shit. It was shit when Joe Biden took over. Much like it was shit when Obama took over for George W. Bush. And Joe Biden, in his first two years as president, he did more things legislatively for this country than any president in history. 
the economy, while people still claim to bitch about it, is pretty good given what we were coming from and given what we were, where we were headed if Donald Trump had stayed in office. Now, citing numbers and figures taken from sources including Breitbart, the archives of the Trump White House and Heritage Foundation, Trump's statement credits him with achievements including creating 7 million jobs. Not true. First of all, if that's true, you say it's true that he created 7 million jobs. Well, Joe's created 12 million jobs in two years. Donald Trump claims 7 million jobs in four years. But in real numbers, if you take a look at the numbers of jobs that were available or that were filled when he took office and how many jobs were filled when he left office, he is the only president of the United States that ended up with less jobs than he started with. Not only did he not get 7 million jobs, he lost jobs in the four years he was in office. And yes, COVID is part of the problem there and part of the equation. But as I say, had Donald Trump done anything presidential when it came to the pandemic, it would never have gotten as bad as it had and his economy would have been fine. But he refused to do anything. So he is culpable not only for COVID, but for the economy affected by, by covid Now, in reality, though he may have created jobs, he lost most of them, if not all of them, when he went through COVID. There were 3.1 million fewer jobs in December 2020 than there were in January of 2017 when Trump took office. He didn't create 7 million jobs. He lost 3.1 million jobs. But Donald Trump will tell you otherwise. And he'll just flat out lie and he'll keep lying up until the time he thinks people start to believe it. And for a time that kind of worked for him when he was first in office. But the fact of the matter is it's not working anymore. Donald Trump is like the boy who cried wolf. People don't buy his shit anymore. They know he's a pathological liar. So why listen to shit? Now, Trump, of course, he had to jump on the bandwagon. He complained about the price of eggs, which have increased partly due to an outbreak of avian flu, not Joe Biden. The increase in the cost of eggs isn't quite as bad as it was in December of 2022, according to CNBC. In fact, the price is lower as of February 6, 2023, than it was in March of 2020 under Donald Trump. So Donnie can complain about eggs, but uh, people in glass houses probably shouldn't throw rocks or eggs for that matter. Well, here's something interesting. This has got to be one of the many things hanging over the head of Donald Trump, and it could get real interesting real quick. There is a date for former President Donald Trump's trial over the claim that he raped writer E. Jean Carroll and has been set despite his attempts to postpone it. He's done everything he could to postpone this, like he does with every court case, every lawsuit brought against him. In a Tuesday afternoon ruling, U.S. District Court Judge Louis A. Kaplan ordered the trial to begin on April 25th. Kaplan had initially set the trial for April 10th in a ruling last year. Earlier in the day, the judge lost his patience as Trump's attorneys sought a six-week delay from the proposed date in mid-April. The judge said, Things keep happening in this case involving your client. I would be a fool not to take that into account. Carol first sued Trump for defamation in 2019 after he denied raping her in the mid-1990s. Last year, she used New York's newly passed sexual Uh, assault law, giving survivors a one-time chance to sue beyond the statute of limitations. Now, it's funny, he's always claimed that he never did it. But recently, he made reference, well, that was a long time ago, the statute of limitations is over. Well, apparently, he doesn't know this new law, where the statute of limitations don't make any difference. 
His only defense, because this is a defamation case, his only defense had been, well, I said that when I was president, and I have absolute immunity when I'm president, (laughs) which is bullshit and wasn't going to work. But then he proceeded in his uh, true social feed to make the same claims and offer up the same defamation to E. Jean Carroll once again. So even if his defense of I was president at the time, when he put it in his truth social post, he wasn't president anymore. He shit canned his own defense. I'm sure the lawyers love that motherfucker over this. Katie Porter. Here's a woman I love. She is a representative from California. Very talented, very sharp, very smart, very articulate, and regularly takes down Republicans. On Tuesday, she turned the tables on Republicans during a hearing of the House Oversight Committee. In particular, Porter zeroed in on fentanyl seizures at the United States-Mexico border and pointed to a large jump in seizures that she said occurred around June of 2020. She said, for me as a mom, that is a sign of success, she said. I don't want fentanyl in this country. It's dangerous and kills people and makes our community dangerous. And to me, this is a sign that our Border Patrol and our agents are doing their jobs. What I find interesting is, despite success here, what we are seeing is an effort to characterize seizures as failures. Republicans have the last several months used high fentanyl seizures to attack the Biden administration for lax border enforcement, even though such seizures mean the fentanyl will not be making its way into American communities. I mean, think about that. How stupid is that? Well, you stopped a lot of fentanyl going in. That must be a failure. And here's something else um, about this fentanyl thing. I saw a hearing where they were talking about how fentanyl actually gets in to this country. 90% of it comes through by Americans through normal ports of call. Maybe 10% come through the uh, Mexican border and illegal aliens. Republicans don't tell you that, though, because it doesn't fit their agenda. They're worried about the brown people coming from Mexico, those drug dealers, those rapists, those murderers. Yeah, well, it turns out that's not the case when it comes to fentanyl. It's more likely Americans coming across into this country through legal means because they are citizens. It's funny, when you say that to a Republican, and I've seen people do that, they just stare at you with their mouth agape. They don't know what the fuck to say. And then immediately thereafter, they'll repeat, we've got to stop the brown people. They're bringing the fentanyl. They're murderers. It's, a, it's, it's truly amazing. I mean, it's absolutely fucking stupid. Now, Donald Trump, for whatever reason, still thinks he is going to run for president in 2024. I don't see how that's going to happen. I just, it's just not going to happen. He can't. There are so many things that are going to stop him. He's going to have so many hurdles. And then you throw in the fact that the Republicans don't even fucking want him. Well, his odds of running for president are pretty slim. Now, even though Ron DeSantis hasn't announced that he's running for president Donald Trump sees him as his main competitor. And what does Donald Trump when he has a competitor? Well, when Joe Biden was his competitor, he went to Ukraine and said, find some dirt on Joe Biden, which they didn't do. They couldn't do. So now what's he doing with Ron DeSantis when he sees him as a primary opponent? Well, things are getting ugly pretty fast between Don and Ron. Former President Donald Trump on Tuesday shared a 21-year-old photo purportedly showing Florida Governor Ron DeSantis partying with teenage girls when he was a teacher at at a school. That's not Ron, is it? Trump wrote statistically on his social media site. He would never do such a thing. The 45th president later shared the same photo along with a post that denounced DeSantis as pretty gross for cuddling with the teenage female students, one of whom is holding a brown bottle 
No way Trump wrote back in mock surprise. Now, I've seen that photo, and it does look a little cringy, and, and, and it's a little creepy. And it wouldn't surprise me if um, Ron DeSantis was a little bit creepy. But you see what he's doing here. He's going to pull everything off of every tabloid and try to denounce and discredit Ron DeSantis, which I'm cool with because most of it is probably true. I, I'm also a believer that Ron DeSantis won't be in a position to run for um, president in 2024. I think whoever the Republican candidate is going to be, we don't know that yet. It isn't apparent who it will be. It's not going to be Donald Trump, certainly. And I really don't think it's going to be Ron DeSantis because he's going to go through some things. I'm sure there's plenty of things that can be dug up on Ron DeSantis, and it's going to start cropping out, starting with this picture that Donald Trump threw out there. You know, it's always been said he was close buddies with David Pecker, who was the publisher of the National Enquirer, and it seems to be so. People will always say, Donald Trump, what does he have on these people? Well, you can bet Donald Trump is just like J. Edgar Hoover and Vladimir Putin and whoever else. He's always got something on people because that's the only way he knows how to play. Blackmail, cheating, lying, stealing. And the Donald Trump folks are going to spend a lot of time digging up Ron DeSantis in hopes of destroying him. And I'll be honest with you, I support Donald Trump's efforts to do so. This man should be exposed for the piece of shit he is, and he should be destroyed, and he shouldn't be a a legitimate consideration when it comes to running for president in 2024. It's what I told you before. These Republicans, they want to fight against Democrats, but they're going to spend so much time fighting amongst themselves, they'll destroy themselves. Now, during the um, State of the Union, I mentioned that George Santos for whatever reason, got an aisle seat because he wanted to be the center of attention, even though he's an embarrassment. And I I said that Mitt Romney didn't want to talk to him, but apparently somebody got some video footage where Santos did speak with Mitt Romney on the House floor on Tuesday nights, just moments before Joe Biden delivered the State of the Union address. It looks like they chatted briefly, and Romney told Santos, you ought to be embarrassed. And that comes according to CBS News. In response, a wordsmith, if you will, Santos reportedly called Romney an asshole. Now, that may be true, but keep in mind, uh, Romney's a Mormon, so he's never heard that kind of language, especially from a fraud like George Santos. Again, They're fighting amongst themselves. I love that. Look who's there, said Wolf Blitzer on CNN as the network showed a live shot of Santos standing and speaking to Romney, who was seated. Blitzer called Santos very, very, very controversial. Controversial indeed, said Casey Hunt. This is one of the perks that the job that was able to get elected to do. I'd be interested to know if he's going to be present for the next State of the Union. I guess we're going to find out. Now, after the conversation was seemingly over, Santos kept speaking in Romney's direction, though the uh, senator didn't really appear to be still listening to the congressman. Santos, a freshman representative, became very controversial, of course, by lying about everything he's done. And, of course, there's at least four investigations going on with George Santos. They're trying to figure out what the hell he really is about. We don't even necessarily know his real name. He's given us at least two names. We don't know which one is real. We know that everything he's said about his education, his work history, his ethnicity, his sexual preference, his everything, his parents, you know, his mom died Twice, it sounds like. Grandma was in the Holocaust, none of which was true. But the place he's going to get nailed is the money situation. It's really troubling to know that he claims he borrowed or donated 
$700,000 to his campaign when the last we knew he was making $55,000 a year and couldn't pay his fucking rent. So the idea that he would have $700,000 is a little confusing. Somebody had to give it to them. And if somebody gave it to him, well, that's illegal. No one party can give one candidate that much money. There are laws against that. I even heard a story recently that uh, he said that he was a producer of a Broadway play, for Christ's sake. This guy honestly has no shame. It's almost funny to watch. I mean, here's a guy that should be completely embarrassed. And what does he do? He goes to the State of the Union, sits front and center, proud as can be, just waiting for people to talk to him. He knows people hate him. He knows people are embarrassed by him. He knows they don't trust him, that he's a flat-out liar. But even he doesn't set get that in his head. He doesn't understand or he doesn't care. I'll tell you this about George Santos. He's not long for the House of Representatives. Even the Republicans are getting tired of him. Apparently, he's going up through uh, uh, an ethics committee. It's going to be run by Republicans. We'll see if they do it um, truthfully and honestly, or they'll just whitewash them and send them through. Who really knows what's going to happen? But at this point, George Santos is a huge liability for the Republicans. It's an embarrassment to have him in their ranks. But in addition, he's taking all the oxygen out of the room. He's taking all the attention away from the Republicans who want to they want to control the narrative by these crazy fucking investigations that are, going, that are going on. It's all quite a joke. They should be thankful that George Santos has taken away the attention from them because they're going to pay a large price for the crazy shit they're doing in the House of Representatives, accomplishing nothing in terms of bills to help this country or help the people in it just to fucking have investigations and stupid shit like that. That's going to cost them the election in 2024. Mark my words on this, and they just don't get it. George Santos will be gone soon. There's just no value in keeping him on board with the Republicans. All right, we're going to wrap up the Rational Boomer podcast. I want to thank you all for spending the time to listen. I'll be back in Minnesota for tomorrow's show. Uh, I hope you have a great day. And, of course, we'll talk to you again tomorrow from Minnesota. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.